This week, I'm back in Bellingham at Wander Brewery. Co-founders Chad and Colleen take a little bit of time out of their busy day to chat with me about what it takes to run a pretty large brewery and raise a new family. I'm the Cycling Certified Cicerone, and this is Washington Beer Talk. So my name is Chad Keel. I'm the founder, uh, co-founder of Wander Brewing and Head Brewer. Um, my wife and I founded uh, Wander back in 2014. So we're four and a half years old, five years next year. Uh, yeah, so uh, that's who I am uh, from a brewing standpoint, I guess. Right on. Um, you mentioned Colleen, your wife. You guys are co-founders of the brewery. Does she brew as well? Originally, yes. So when we started Wander, uh, we started with a 20-barrel brew house, so kind of a, a decent-sized brew house out of the gates. Uh, there was just the two of us. We didn't have any employees for the first basically 90 days. Um, so we would brew in the morning. Colleen would, was co-brewer. She'd rake out the mash ton, uh, and then we'd run the tasting room at night. So we were, at that point, we were open was it five or six days? I think it was only five at the onset, and then we went to six, and now we're open seven days a week. Um, so yeah, she used to brew and, and help out production, and then she transitioned pretty quickly when we started bringing on production employees. Uh, she's now, uh, she runs the business basically. So I run production side, uh, sourcing uh, raw materials, recipe development, coordinate packaging, all of that, and then Colleen does everything else really, everything from uh, HR to uh, philanthropic stuff, donations, uh, payroll, uh, marketing and advertising, everything else that goes into the, the business behind the scenes. So yeah. Colleen's kind of the business side, I'm, I'm kind of the production side. Yikes, a 20-barrel brew house yeah. is insane to start off with. Yeah. What made you think that was a good idea? Um, I don't know. Especially uh, for two people <laughs> just rolling into the business. Yeah, well, we can't. Uh, you know what? You didn't just roll into the business, though. No. I heard you used to work at Hilliard's. I worked at Hilliard's, yeah, yeah back in the day. So I went to the American Brewers Guild. Uh, my thought on kind of opening the brewery, and I knew we we thought we wanted to own a, be small business owners and open a brewery. I wanted to get an education as well as get experience, I, and I still feel strongly that for someone opening a brewery, kind of that that two headed approach is very uh, it's very important. I think mm -hmm. it gives you the best chances of succeeding. So I went to the American Brewers Guild six month course um, back in 2011, and when I wrapped that up in the fall, Hilliards at the time was only about a month old. So then. Went to work at Hilliards, uh, working evenings there, a couple days a week. So I'd work my day job down in Seattle Center, then on the bike ride home back to Ballard. We lived kind of up the hill in Ballard. I'd work Hilliards at night. So uh, very grateful to Hilliards and, and all the people there uh, for letting me do that and being flexible with me. But yeah, I learned kind of learned the ropes there and uh, still friends with a lot of the old Hilliards crew. They're kind of all over the place. Yeah, uh, did you hear what happened industry. to the tap room down there? It's Lagunitas now. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we know that whole. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so it's uh, so uh, Hilliards was a, a 15 barrel um, going into uh, 60 barrel tanks, so uh, quadruple brews. I I knew we needed a, a size system that was large enough that we could kind of get economies of scale, yet not so large that it was too big. I think 20 was at the very high end of what we were comfortable with, but it was a little different scene. I mean, we were planning Wander. This is 2000 and. You know, we were planning it, you know, 2010, eight years ago. The word on the street then was figure out what size system you want and go two sizes bigger. You know, so if you think you want a 7, skip a 10 and you better start with a 15. You think you might want a 10, skip a 15 and get a 20. So back then there was a big push for everyone was outgrowing themselves. The market wasn't uh, as, 
um, saturated, wasn't as full. Yeah. Uh, there wasn't quite as much competition. So, I mean, there was a lot of room for very rapid growth. So a lot of us bought larger systems um, than we may have if we were opening today. If we're opening today, maybe I'd be on a 10 or a 15. Um, but being, that being said, we, we also knew that we didn't want to have a huge workforce at Wander. We knew we only wanted to be a certain size. We've, we've been at capacity now at the same, running at capacity for three years and, we, and everything's great. Basically, it took you one year to ramp up to that. And you yeah, we expanded once, uh, got some 40 barrel tanks we double batches into. Um, and, and we're happy with the size we're at now. We have one tank coming in later this year, but that'll be the first tank we've bought in a few years. We're just squeezing one more in. Um, but my thought was, if we want to have a small workforce and we're going to be putting in long days here, um, when we, when we uh, spec'd out systems, so everything here is made in Mark's Design and Melworks. Everything, all the stainless back there is made in Washington, which is something we're, we're proud of. And, 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 and we like to tell people, um, we have a hard time preaching drink local craft beer unless we make that on right. as local of equipment that we can without compromising quality. Mm -hmm. um, but when we were pricing out the system to go from a 15 to a 20, since Mark's, everything's custom. So they don't have a sweet spot where, you know, we have this 15 barrel brew house in a box that you buy and you want to do a 20. Oh, that's going to cost you, you know, 30% more. The incremental cost between a 15 and a 20 at the time was very small. Mm -hmm. uh, we're talking a few percent more. It was a handful percent. Um, and I was sitting there looking at it going, okay, but at the end of the day, my, my brew day goes from being, you know, with cleaning and setup and milling, it goes from being, you know, eight or nine hours up to eight and a half or nine and a half hours. So only a little bit more time for runoff. Um, and I got an extra, you know, five barrels, that's 10 kegs, you know, and yeah. you're selling kegs, you know, for whatever you sell them for, 150 bucks, you know, at the time. Uh, that's an extra $1,500 for my day to be a little longer. And at startup, that really, that point kind of stuck in my head. Well, I can, you know, on the equipment, I can pay, you know, up front an extra, you know, 10 or $15,000 and then, each batch from there on out, as long as we can sell it, <laughs> yeah. an extra 1500 bucks. And my day's just a little longer. So that was kind of weighing on my mind because people are like, why so big? And I was like, well, the incremental cost wasn't much. So I basically decided to go as large as I could without being uncomfortable, which was 20 barrels. So yeah. long-winded response. But a lot of people wonder like, well, that's a big system to start with. Yeah. It was more about just kind of having those economy scales out of the bat. I also didn't want to be, how many breweries have we seen that make great beer, but they start on like a five barrel. And then before you know it, they're ripping everything out 12 months later. I didn't want to be that yeah. that person and and we've had this system now for almost five years i have no intent to ever swap it out yeah um so that's good so i think it was the right call for us there are yeah. breweries that are like much much larger than y'all brewing yeah. on smaller systems which is like, yeah, like you know the good people down at frame yeah. one of my favorite breweries period you know they're still on a 15 and i don't i think they're turning something like uh, don't quote me, but I think it's like 25 or 27 turns in a week. Wow. You know, yeah. and they got it dialed in and they designed the system to do that. So they can do that. But, you know, th that'll be a brewery that's a system that's a third smaller than us. And at the end of the year, they're going to be kicking out, you know, eight or nine times more beer than we do. Yeah. So it's kind of crazy. So, yeah. So in that sense, we only brew uh, three times a week. Um, I have a production staff that's relatively small three three brewers we have a i, I still hold the head brewer position uh, and then i have a lead brewer that helps me with uh, a lot of the finer details recipe development that sort of thing and then i have two other brewers um and everyone's been here for at least a couple of years uh we have a great staff but in order for us to leave time for everything that's outside of the exciting brewing days you know packaging cleaning sanitizing uh lab work barrel work all that we can't be brewing five days a week you know with just three guys we won't have enough time for all the other stuff so we have a big enough system 
uh, that we can pay the bills with really just running a three guy a three guy crew. So yeah, I'm right there with you on that one. I I've been looking at these breweries that have the really small brew houses, and I'm thinking like because you you know you hear about the quadruple yeah. brew days yep. and you know the nonstop production and stuff like that, and yeah. you know how hard that is yeah. you know and it and it feels bad to have a piece of equipment sort of sitting idle three or four days out of the week yep. but at the same time like it really is it, the bigger it is it, it can afford to stay more idle yeah and you I can think, you know that's i think less it, work yeah i think it makes sense if you can do it i mean when we started wander um we didn't take any outside investors we had a, a house we owned in ballard that colleen and i had fixed up and it was our it's kind of our dream house on a corner lot had a fenced in backyard for our dog had a, enough bedrooms and bathrooms and everything we kind of wanted but we wanted to to start a small business and so we didn't want to take on investors so we basically sold the house that we had fixed up for several years and took that money and then got a, a small business loan SBA loan through a, through a, a local bank in Bellingham and started the business so uh, at the time we did have not a lot of funds but we did have enough funds that we could entertain a larger system I think a lot of folks at startups so scary and when you're looking at brew houses if you can save you know 20 grand by going a little smaller or maybe depending on your supplier it might be more than that whoever your fabricator is um i think more people i don't know it works for us um yeah i look at those people on 10 barrel systems that make the same amount of beer we do at the end of the day but they do a double batch and it takes their crew depending on what sort of system it is 12 13 14 hours and we're doing it in seven yeah you know those are man hours right there you know and yeah. you got an extra two guys two guys or girls around for an extra six or seven hours that day you can work up some some expenses pretty quick yeah and uh and before you know it you could have paid for that system right off the bat but it's all about at startup you know what's your cash flow how much free capital do you have and that sort of thing so yeah um yeah um do you have a business background or is that just brewer's guild education um, and brewer's guild education um so i am an engineer there's some ambient sound in the brewery, so That's I okay. apologize, that, everyone. Uh, we are a working brewery. When you come to Wander, if you haven't been here, it's open concept, which is something I took from Hilliards. I always love that about Hilliards and yeah. what they did there. So we're wide open here. There's no walls or windows or anything separating anything, so it is kind of loud in the brewery. But um, uh, back to the question, um, I originally am I'm an industrial engineer by education, so I have an industrial engineering degree at University of Iowa. That's where Colleen and I met. I'm born and raised in Iowa. Uh, Lived there my whole life till I was 22. Then we uh, moved to San Francisco um, and worked out there. I got in the t I got out of core engineering, got into tech. So I was a, a tech consultant in okay. San Francisco. Traveled quite a bit. Um, ended up up in Seattle uh, doing tech work, working at the Gates Foundation. I was a contractor there for four years. And uh, still, though, I, I had the the best uh, employer I could think of, doing the best work I could do, and it was aligned to kind of my skill set. But I still didn't feel fulfilled. So that's when I decided to go American Brewers Guild. So got that knowledge on that side. And when we lived in San Francisco, we thought down the road we wanted to open a small business. So I got, it's a, it's a business administration a certificate from Kyle Berkeley. It was a courses, I think it was six courses that I took, uh, which kind of gave me a, a background, wrote a sample business plan, kind of did all that. So I have a light business background, but nothing, nothing strong uh, in that sense. This is our first startup, our first business we've ever owned. We've always been interested in it. Um, my grandfather owned, I grew up in a fairly small town in Iowa where my grandfather owned the, the tavern. Then it was called Keel's Tavern, my next, my last name, the next town over. And, uh, I always thought that was pretty cool and always thought we'd want to be in some sort of small business that probably aligned to, uh, the service industry, uh, food and drink. I've worked in restaurants growing up my whole life. 
kind of got away from food because I've seen what it takes to run a food establishment, and it's insane. Just talked to Jack over at uh, yeah, yeah, about that. Yeah, I've talked to Jack about that too. Um, but yeah, it's and if you can make it work, it's a huge food in a brewery is a huge plus, and it can save you in downtimes, and it can help bring in crowds on slow weekends. But for me, I'm just working in enough kitchens and the amount of extra people that you need to manage and managing people is, I mean, that's anyone who wants to start a brewery. I say, wow, you better be ready to manage people. Um, mm. when we were starting Wander, Dave Vitt, who runs Colshan, uh, told me right off the bat, I was like, any advice? And Dave's kind of my informal mentor. So shout out to Dave, wonderful person. Um, he said, well, if you want to, if you want to, if you want to brew beer, go be a brewer. If you want to run a business, open a brewery. So, and I think there's that misconception out there. There's a lot of people that love brewing and want to open a brewery, but you really need to want to run a business and uh, everything that comes with that. Employees, um, I mean, there's days where I spend half my day upside down under the counter trying to fix a dishwasher. I'm not in the back brewing, you know, and we have a small brewery where everyone does everything, you know, and there's days where I'm fighting software updates on our POS system. Um, I'm not in the back rubbing hops and, you know, eating grain and sampling fermenters. There is that too, but the running the business side of things, I think that really rings true. I mean, if you're someone that's really passionate about production and the process of brewing um, and you want to start a small business, I, I would really give it some hard thought. If you really want to be a brewer, do you want to be a small business owner? Because even if you open a brewery and you're the, like I was, I was still the head brewer and did all, brewed the first couple hundred batches of beer myself. There's going to come a day where you're probably going to start stepping away from that to focus more on other parts of the business or you're hurting yourself. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's one bit of advice. Um, I think I deviated from the question maybe a little bit oh, there. Oh, no, but, no, no, no. It's all, uh, it's all good. That's yeah, the whole point of the question. Yes, exactly. You kind of, we kind of flow. But, yeah, but... Uh, I don't know. What was the question? We asked about food? You know what? I don't <laughs> even remember what it was at this point. Um, but uh, to do that, but. I, well, I'll remember the, I remember the thought I had right after you started was yeah. your story kind of rings true with me. You were talking about how you, you know, had the engineer's life. You did, did the industrial engineer thing yeah. and then switched over to your tech consulting thing. Yeah. And that's what the cycling cisterns was born out of, actually. I was an engineer. I, I studied at the University of Texas in Austin, computer oh, yeah. engineering, moved up to Seattle to work at Microsoft. Yep. And then we thought, oh, man, you know what? I sure did everything I wanted to do. I had this, got the perfect job, the one I wanted since I was five. Exactly. And this aligns with my skill set, and this yep. is great, and I just don't feel fulfilled. Yep. How do I realign what I'm doing to do something beer-related? That's what we I, have the exact same thing. Yeah. Exact same thing. Yep. It's just kind of... You feel you go into the job and we had great coworkers and everything. But at the end of the day, I was like, ah, I still was itching for something else. And um, I think it's for me, it's just the wine to open a small business about just kind of a little bit more personal fulfillment. At the end of the day, I want to feel like I really had something tangible, whether that was yeah. a beer or um, maybe it's not tangible. Maybe it's just a feeling that I've employed, you know, a dozen people locally, yeah. but something more where at the end of the day of my professional um my previous professional career, at the end of the day, I'm feeling, you know, I'm, I'm handing over something soft that's stored out in the cloud somewhere that, yeah. you know, and it's great, but at the end of the day, someone gets their telecom bill on time because we redid yeah. and retested the software yep. or something like that. I mean, there's some projects I worked on that were more f fulfilling than others, but still, it's it, it, at the end of the day, I w we were kind of hungry for a little more. Um, I will say that we were naive as far as being small business owners, everything that goes into it, you know, yeah. and it's it's a challenge too, and it's a balance. When you open one with your significant other, which I think a lot of people do do, regardless of what industry you're in, I mean, the business comes home with you at home, and uh, it's with you all the time, and it's hard to get away from it, especially cell phones these days. You know, we can look at our phone and see, 
you know, all sorts of things about the business real time, what's going on. Yeah. And so it's, you need to make sure you disconnect. Yeah. You know? I can't even find myself getting on my phone to make a, an important social media Instagram post for exactly. cycling Cicero without getting distracted by yes. other Instagram related yes. things. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and social media these days. Oh my word. I know. Um, tell me a little bit about what it's like to balance your work and family life. That's gotta be hard. Yeah, you so just, you just mentioned you had a, yeah, um, a baby a young, daughter. Yeah. 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 Uh, Callie and I had our, our first child and Callie and I have been together since we met uh, actually at, at, a, at a bar in Iowa City when 21 year, well, I was 21, she was 20. Um, but Iowa City, it's a big kind of social drinking town like a lot of universities are. And uh, so yeah, we've been together for over 15 years, uh, started a family. Um, I mean, just parenthood's a whole nother thing which helps you kind of put stuff in perspective because I think before um, we had things that are important in life, but now having a, a family that trumps everything. So I think it's been really good to help us kind of put perspective on the brewery and sometimes say, okay, I don't need to sweat that small thing at the brewery, or I don't need to be banging my head at, at night or staying late this extra day quite as long because there's you got you know you got a, a daughter at home to, to go home to. Uh, right off the bat, it, it was tough, um, and I've talked to to a lot of people about that. Um, you know, if if you are starting a business with your significant other, you need to make sure you have a rock solid foundation. I mean, it's kind of a serious talk, like because if, if you if you have a, an unstable relationship or a fracture in your relationship, a small business will take that fracture and bust it open, you know. Um, and we've, I've seen it locally with friends here that have opened and closed and are no longer together, you know, since we first opened. I've seen, seen that numerous times. So it is stressful on your, your home life. I think a lot of people think small business ownership, if they haven't jumped into it, and I'm sure some people do have a, an amazingly, perfectly unflawed experience, but it's, it's stressful. It, it takes a toll. Um, one word of advice Colleen and I have, you know, we tell people that are kind of going through some of the stuff we did with trying to just balance everything is we didn't talk about the business at home. We had, we do now, we did at the startup, but we realized we could never get away from the business. You know, we were coming in to brew at 6 a.m. We were leaving, you know, here after we closed down the taste room at 10 p.m. at night. We we're doing this day after day after day. So we made a rule we can't talk about the brewery at home. And people were like, you're insane. How do you not talk about your small business at home? You know, other small business owners would say that. And we're like, well, it's either that or we're going to go crazy. So we'd pull up in front of our house and we might sit there for 20 minutes and talk. Or we got everything out, all right, now we can go inside. But we did not bring the business inside the house. And we got to a point, you know, I don't know, it was a year, 18 months later, where stuff had started to bounce out a little bit more, where we said, okay, only if it's important or if it's an emergency emergency of some sort. You know, we're not emergency. If, it, if it's something important, yeah. you know, maybe it's payroll related and Colleen needs, uh, needs to submit payroll that evening by 10 p.m. and it's 9.30. Hey, Chad, can you clarify this for me? But otherwise, we didn't talk anything, you know, beyond stuff that was immediate and had to be done. Mm -hmm. And then we uh, went a little further in that. Now it's kind of like, yeah, if you got a question, no big deal. What is it? But we still try and keep it out of the house just yeah. because you need that separation. Yeah. Um, but it is a challenge. I think anyone that that runs a small business, specifically a brewery, because you are so, a brewery is such a, a social, uh, it's a social business. I mean, we'll go to the grocery store and be getting a frozen pizza and someone will, I don't recognize, hey, how's that new IPA going? Oh, yeah. And I'm like, I'm in my sweatpants and my baseball cap, you know, just grabbing, yeah. grabbing a frozen pizza on a Saturday night or something, you know, but it is a social, it is a very social, um, transparent business to the public. So there are times where you feel like, yeah, you really kind of need your, your private time, mm -hmm. you know, um, especially too, it depends what size town you open in. Um, Bellingham's a decent sized town, but not large. I mean, it's a big, small town. Yeah. Um, you people pretty much know everyone uh 
a lot of people ask, you know, you got how many, I think we have 12 or 13 breweries now. I think it depends if you count yeah. some in the county or if you count, you know, Colshan has a couple locations. Yeah. Um, how many ever we have now? It's over a dozen, I think. Yeah, I was, I didn't do an official tally either, but a dozen sounds about right. Yeah, but we all get along great, honestly. And everyone's like, come on, really? And it's like, no, we get along great. And I mean, yeah. I've, I've been in, worked in beer beer in other towns where it actually, isn't that's, that way. Yeah, that's actually the next question I want to go on to. Let's talk about the Bellingham beer scene. Yeah. So, yeah, con continuing that thought, now yeah. we're officially on Onto that, that rail. subject. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we get along as much as it, uh, what I was basically getting at was as much as it does for like a small town and sometimes you need to get away, just kind of get away or have some privacy. We all do get along great um, and we support each other. Um, we're texting back and forth all the time, whatever it's, if it's, you need, you know, you're out of some hops and you need some hops or malt or uh, I was just texting another brewer the other night about disposable kegs that they want to send some down to Oregon. Um, they want to know where we got ours from. Uh, we're Wait a minute, there's such a thing as disposable kegs? Disposable kegs, yeah. Yeah, we, that's what we send down to Portland because Cooperage, so Cooperage, AKA kegs, are expensive and they just all went up by about 10% because of the tariffs that went in place on September 24th. And if they don't get something figured out on January 25th, they're gonna go up by 25% and all the suppliers are passing that directly on to the brewers. And even before that, Cooper's is expensive. You know, your kegs are well over a hundred dollars. Um, and if someone rents one and walks away with it, you're kind of out that money. You take a deposit, but you'd lose a lot of kegs. Yeah, the deposit's you lose $50. Dozens. Yeah, yeah it's, you, not, it's, it's less it's not than half the cost yeah. of the keg. Um, so there are disposable kegs, which we, we, we use all stainless steel in Washington, but anything we send out of the state, like we have a, a, a small distributor down in Oregon that gets our beer down into Portland, just like key accounts on there, we send them disposable kegs. Okay. So it is a thing. Um, at the end of it, uh, they're recyclable, so they basically uh, relieve the pressure out of the keg when it's gone, and then they cut it and kind of crush it down, bleed the pressure out, cut it down, and recycle it. All right. So it's not a perfect solution, but it's, uh, it, it works. Um, but yeah, we, we get along great. I mean, we go to each other's houses for, for, uh, holidays. Like, you know, I go over to Dave's house for Thanksgiving. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. We, we have, I think there's, there's a healthy competition at the end of the day. We all know we're competitive with each other. We all want that tap, that same tap in or that same shelf space at the grocery store, mm -hmm. but we do get along great. Um, and everyone's kind of had to up their game because there's great beer in, in, in Bellingham. So, um, I'm really, there's just about every one of those. 12 breweries I can recommend and feel confident, you know, and um, it really, when someone says, where should I go drink at Bellingham? It's like, well, where are you at? I mean, I'll probably recommend the closest place to wherever you're at, really. Yeah. So, uh, but it's good camaraderie. Um, Which is, well, that recommend, recommendation, you know, wherever's closest is so funny to me because it, you were saying, you know, how it's such a small town, like yes. it really is. Like I've got, I brought my bike here and I can make it to all oh, 10, yeah. you know, 10 of the, the 10 sort of closest breweries yep. in eight minutes or less. It's right? close. Uh, yeah, it's just like. Yeah, I mean, we're kind of somewhat centrally located, you know. I mean, within a, a mile in any direction, you got Chuckanut that direction, you got Menace and Melvin that direction, you got Colshan that direction. They come around here, you got Aslan and Structures, and then keep going. That way, you got Stone's Throw, which is a couple miles away because they're down in Fairhaven, but then back in downtown, you have Gruff. And then Boundary Bay, and you can't see me on the on the on the podcast. I'm literally just drawing a circle around my head. Yeah, kinda. he's worked his way all the way around the yeah, clock on that one. It's yeah, I mean, there's someone kind of in every direction, um, and it's good. It's very it is a bike friendly town. Um, you know, we're not 
so we're not the the extreme end of bike friendly, but I think the towns are making a lot of steps lately with bike lanes and with developing the trails. We have a huge mountain bike community here, which if yeah. you're not into mountain biking, you might not realize, but Galbraith Mountains, just outside of downtown, so we get a ton of mountain bikers, um, and then close proximity to Whistler and and people coming up from Seattle, but it is bike friendly. It's pretty walkable friendly. Um, yeah, I mean, we have our tap trail, which has all the, the kind of tap houses and the, the breweries laid out. Uh, if you get one of those maps, you can just kind of walk around town and, and go where you please. So it's, yeah, yeah it's good though. It's a really good spot. Yeah. Uh, you were talking about the cooperation between breweries. Yeah. Um, what kind of, um, I don't know where I, what, what I really want to ask about that. I kind of want to talk about that more. Yeah. Um, what what are some of the more substantial things you maybe gotten from someone else? You know, like I feel like a yeah. lot of businesses don't really don't collaborate on the level that breweries yeah. do, but I I know I hear that they do. Everyone I yep. talk to says that the community is really nice. Um, if you've gotten a request from another brewery, you're like, oh god, I can I can help you with that, but you'll, you'll be really pulling teeth. Yeah, I mean, one thing I try and do whenever I ask for help from another brewery, because one thing I don't I I don't like is when someone comes to me and just says, how do you do this? So usually my kind of philosophy and what I like is I say, well, this is what I'm thinking about doing, but I'm nervous about this. This is how we've done it before. I'm curious, like, how do you do it? Or do you have any input, you know? So um, usually I can't think of really, honestly, anything that's can't, any, anyone that, anything that uh, someone has asked me that I've been like, I can't tell you that. Uh, brewer to brewer, I mean, I'm, we're pretty open about our yeast and our, our raw materials and what grain we use in certain beers. We don't hand over the recipe to the beer, but you know, if someone's like, what yeast are you using in that? We're pretty transparent. You know, we're not, it's not like the Kentucky fried chicken secret, mm -hmm. secret recipe that no one knows anything about or whatever yeah. the heck, you know? Um, so we're pretty open. I can't really think of anything like that. I mean, um, but there are, I mean, a lot, like I said, a lot of requests just in the past day. We've been talking about sharing kegs, borrowing a bag of grain. We're taking yeast over to another brewery that, that is out of yeast uh, probably later today. Uh, we regularly borrow yeast from other breweries. Um, we have a Brewers Guild up here, so our own Brewers Guild within Bellingham. The Bellingham Brewers Guild. Yeah, Bellingham Brewers oh, Guild. Cool. So we meet quarterly now. We were, we were meeting more frequently, but it got everyone's so busy, it got more difficult. So now we meet quarterly. Uh, it's kind of part educational, part social time just for us to get together and hang out. Um, so that's good, you know, just good camaraderie there. We have an annual bocce ball tournament that we do at the end of Bellingham Beer Week because Bellingham Beer Week gets crazy and at the end of the week everyone wants to relax. So we go and play bocce ball together. Um, yeah, but it's really, it's pretty open and I can't really think of anything I've ever asked. I mean, you kind of know your limits, but I can't really think of anything I've ever asked in our brewery or someone's asked of me where I've been like, I can't tell you that. Yeah. Um, really, uh, at the end of the day, you can have, you know, that, award-winning recipe, you know, that the best of the best recipe. And it really, one thing I realized once I got further into brewing is unless you have the actual people making the beer, that makes all the difference. I mean, someone could actually take, you know, our stout recipe that's won at GABF and has won the past three years at the Washington Beer Awards. I can give someone that stout recipe and they can go and try and make it on their system. It'll taste different. They yeah. can use the exact same ingredients. It's going to taste different. If I try to take that recipe, even me and probably change brew houses or change locations, it's going to taste a little different. Um, the beer that you make is really specific to the employees that are there and the, the actual brew system that you have. How many vessel brew house are you on? What are the dimensions and ratios on it? Um, you know, how's everything set up? How are you, everything down to how are you oxygenating your wort to what's the geometry on your, your fermentation vessels? And all that stuff changes at every brewery. So I'm a big fan actually of being pretty open on information um, just because I know that 
whatever we create will still be unique to us because of our setup and because of the employees that we have here. And I'm not saying that's better or worse than another location or yeah. someone else trying to do it, but it's going to be different. So in that sense, I'm always, I'm pretty open. Like I said, I don't hand over my recipes, but if someone wants to know, hey, what hops are you using that or what yeast, I'm, I'm pretty open. I think most brewers are in that sense. Um, yeah. Okay. I believe that. I, I think there's a lot to, lot to be said for what you were just saying about, you know, the very specifics, you know, just yeah. <laughs> the quantum state of your brewery. I don't know yeah. what to say about that, but it's like, yeah, because, you know, like, yeah, the, the, shape, the shape of fermenters, they've got All different, right. like a te yeah. temperature differential throughout the whole thing that just does yeah. these weird tiny yeah, things I mean, you don't know anything about. Do you about. have two temperature, temperature probes on your fermenter or one? Is your, what's your, you know, height to width ratio? How deep's your grain bed in your mash tun? Um, are you steam or direct fire? I mean, there's so many variables yeah. that fall outside of just your recipe. I mean, recipe development obviously is the foundation, but after that, you know, um, yeah, how much oxygen you're putting in your wort? How are you are you appropriately pitching your yeast? Even if you have the right yeast type, you know how much you're pitching it. What's the the viability of the yeast? Is it healthy? Um, so many additional things that even if you have that recipe that you love and you're like, oh, this we dialed in this pale ale. This is what we love. I mean, there's so much more that goes into something besides what's on that sheet of paper. And yeah. it's a it's a common sense thing, but I don't think a lot of people think about that until they actually get into the production setting. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there's so many different variables. Maybe you can tell me this, although I don't imagine you might know, uh, but I feel like, and maybe this is completely psychological and I'm imagining it, but I yeah. feel like at a certain production scale, yeah. you know, the huge ones, the Deschutes and Nkasi, yeah. all those, like, those really big guys with the massive systems, mm -hmm. uh, does beer at that scale lose character or am I just a prejudiced? Like, you know, like I, I feel like there's at a, a certain point, the way you're making beer like that at that scale, you've got to be missing something. Something's yeah. going wrong. And it to me, in my mindset and how I work, it's just at that scale, you you don't have the ability. I learned from day day one that really no one will be as passionate about wander beer as Colleen and I. And no one should be if they are something's wrong. <laughs> So as you grow larger, the person who, or the people who are most passionate about the beer, just by default, lose contact with the beer. And you aren't able to have as much attention to detail. You can hire some of the best people in the world and they can make amazing beer, but at the end of the day, they will not be as passionate as you are. So I feel like sometimes with that scale, I think there is something to be said about being able to really keep your hands on the beer and the, the, the people who are most passionate about it still having that attention to detail or is it someone that you know the new Southerman checking on something who just got brought in and was appropriately trained but maybe doesn't quite have as much you know passion around it and then also I mean when you start mass producing beer uh, depending you know you might have investors who are you know counting beans and telling you to take stuff out of something or looking at how expensive beers are you're also looking for just scalability and, and, and efficiencies and a lot of times that means cutting out flavor um, so I don't necessarily, I mean, there's also large breweries out there, Sierra Nevada that make amazing beer time and time again. Um, there's also some large regional breweries that the beer seems a little more flavorless. Um, so I don't know. It's a good question. Yeah. I, 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 th I do, I, a lot of it's probably psychological, but I do feel like when I go to a smaller brewery, I, not necessarily that the beers taste better, but I feel like it feels more craft to me. And I don't really know how to describe that, but it yeah. just feels more craft. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
from a more of an objective standpoint, I mean, I know there are large breweries out there that when they brew their competition beers, they brew them on small systems. Mm-hmm. You know, they have their, uh, their test pilot systems that are only three, five, seven barrels that sit off to the side of this massive, you know, 30 or 50 barrel brew house. And they, on those systems, they dial everything in particularly, and those are the competition beers they submit. And that's why I think sometimes, you know, someone will say, this beer will win, you know, gold at the GABF, extreme example. And people are like, I have that beer. And I buy it, six packs of it at, you know, at locally it's Hagen, you know, but Safeway or wherever. It's an all right beer, but gosh, I know that style pretty well. And it never really struck me as being that great. Well, it might be quite different from the beer that you have in your six pack because they brewed it on a smaller system for a competition, you know? Mm. So from more of an objective standpoint, I know stuff like that does happen sometimes where, you know, the, the, the beer that you have at the pub for a brewery, uh, a pub brewery that also has a massive production facility, they may be different, you know, um, smaller scale, more attention to detail, more mass produced, probably more technology in the bigger one, maybe more consistent, but still a little different than kind of the crafty, uh, small two vessel brew house that's sitting in the corner of the pub, you know, so it's interesting. Um, we were talking earlier about this space, you know, how, how cool it is. You talk about the open floor plan and all this stuff. Um, I would like to comment on it a little bit. I love it. I think it's a really, really oh, cool spot. You guys, you know, you're just wrapping up brewing over there, and you know, I could smell the tank yeah. open, and it just yeah, smells. Love great. that smell yeah. so much. It's uh, very nice. Uh, but you kind of have this really great look where half of it's stainless steel, yeah, and just full of brew, and then there's this kind of soft barrier, yep, and a, uh, and then the rest of it's just like now wood and like dark iron and yes like i'm glad you enjoy it you have this (laughs) yeah yeah you've established this pretty neat aesthetic i think i want to know whose background that was you know Um, who's the interior designer here well we'll hop into that one thing it's funny though you say that because colleen and i kind of have this inside joke that and we notice this from the moment we open the brewery anytime anyone comes in if they like look up at the ceiling and they're kind of like wide-eyed and like oh my god this is beautiful cool when they come and get a beer we say where are you from yeah. And it's always like Portland, Seattle, you know, Boise, yeah. wherever. Oh, Vancouver. You know, we're like, oh, cool, yeah, yeah. And they're usually never from Bellingham. And Bellingham has this kind of joke about being the city of subdued excitement where we don't get too excited about anything. <laughs> and uh, it's funny. It seems like the, at least outwardly, the outward excitement in someone when they see the space, it's usually always people from out of town. That's so um, funny. And not the locals. Now, they may be thinking it's... I know the locals love our space, but anytime anyone's outwardly excited, usually they're from out of town. So it's kind of an, an inside joke to us, which I'm now sharing on the podcast. But um, <laughs> So we... Yeah, it kind of shocked us. At startup, you know, our original budget for the for the taste room was small. It was, you know, outside of... Not including draft crew. And I'm just talking furniture and stuff. You know, we, we budgeted a few thousand dollars. And we're like... We realized really quick with all the breweries and we knew more were on the way. So when we opened, we were the, we, us and Asin opened at the, at the same time. So we were, we were the fourth and fifth. We opened within a couple of weeks of each other. So really only three breweries open. Um, we realized real quick that we need to invest money into our tasting room. Mm-hmm. On the production side, we realized we need to invest money into our branding and our label design. Um, but on the, on the kind of the customer facing side on premise, we realized we need to invest in the tasting room because that's, the tasting room is kind of the label to your beer in the supermarket, if that makes sense, you get the connection I'm trying to make. Yeah. In a crowded market, when someone doesn't know you and they see your 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 beer on the supermarket shelf and they don't know you or the people next to you, all they have to go off of is the label. And if, yeah, if you're Russian River, oh yeah, we know you make great beer. Um, but if it's a couple of brands they hadn't heard of and when it's startup, no one's heard of you. Wander is decently well known now, but 
no one knows this from that. So we decided to put a, a bunch of money into developing our brand and our labels, and then also a good amount of money into our tasting room and kind of diverted funds from other things. Yeah. So we thought it was, you know, highly important. The tasting room, like I was saying, it's kind of like a, it's the label to our, our beer can or bottle on the shelf, but on premise. It's really what people see when they first come in, and uh, we decided that we should um, invest in that more heavily than we initially thought. So we kind of diverted some funds at startup into that. Um, as far as who's responsible for it, it's basically just Colleen and I working with local tradespeople. I mean, everything here is custom. We worked with a, a local kind of metalsmith, um, Andy Phillips. I don't know if metalsmith is your right title, Andy, but uh, to do the basis to all the uh, the, the tables and the, and, the, uh, and the benches. You know, it's not stuff we just ordered online or, or found on, you know, an arts and crafts website. It was local people that came in and designed it, you know, so we have our branding built into the, the oh, bases yeah. of the tables and we have our branding built into, we had a local... Uh, a local um, fabricator yeah. fabricate us our, our fire pit is what I was, you know, everything's branded and it's it's customized. And that obviously means more dollars. You're not ordering it off of, you know, Amazon or, mm -hmm. or off of wherever it might be. Um, all the, the tabletops, we went out, there's a, a, a miller out in the countryside, out in the county outside of town that has a, a small kind of portable mill. And he had all these live edge pieces. So we went out there and bought all the live edge pieces. We got some of those uh, big... Uh, they're original two by, God, they're like two by 16s. I don't know, the bench, mm -hmm. the big bench, oh, yeah. huge planks. Those are old uh, um, uh, floor joists from a local elementary school that they tore down in one of the neighborhoods. So we got uh, reclaimed wood from that. You know, it's wood's over 100 years old and it's beautiful. Took it to a, a carpenter. So a carpenter planed down everything, finished everything off, took the bases um, that Andy put together. And we put the tops on them, uh, sealed them off. So it's a lot of just local wood, local tradespeople. Um, it is kind of a... I don't want to say generic, but I mean, this part of the country, when you talk brewery, most, most every brewery in town has some, a little bit of live edge in it, um, a little bit of metal. Um, but yeah, I mean, and it has evolved as we have kind of grown. All the walls in here used to be white, and it was kind of like, we started getting feedback, like, we were saying to people, well, how do we improve something? Like, well, you kind of walk in, and I mean, the back part of the brewery is white, because that's where production is, but all this was white. So we started painting some accent walls, you know, with this whole wooden, we have a giant reclaimed wood wall, a wall that's made out of old barn wood and stuff. We put that in afterwards. So a lot of this has developed over time. Um, that's one thing, just as people want to see new styles of beer and, um, and new beers, you know, the, today's craft consumer wants new, 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 new. I mean, even with IPAs, they want a new one every other week. The taste room is something we've realized you have to keep evolving on. And we're actually kind of due to probably revamp some more on it now, but we, we try and make a few changes a year. So thank you that I'm glad you enjoy it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's no one's real style except Colleen and mine and our employees giving input around different things and just trying to make it unique, make it feel Pacific Northwest, try and keep it simple too. I mean, there's a lot of stuff you want to, you, someone will say, oh, well, why didn't you put this here or there? And it's like, well, we can't, you know, there's a lot of restrictions with the city, with the fire department, uh, with that sort of thing, um, about where we can put barriers and what can be obstructing what and how much room you need in between things. So there are certain things that, you know, you do have limits, but overall it's just kind of grown organically. Um, yeah, the, it's a pretty straightforward. We don't have table service. Um, we don't get too much flack about that. Most people are pretty open to it. Um, they, you order up front through the bar, uh, which is pretty common down in Seattle. When we first came up here, though, if you went to Boundary Bay or you went to Chuckanut or you went to Colshan, yeah, they all right. had table service. So yeah, we they're were, all like brew pub style. We were the first know? ones without table service. And as and over the same time as us, they have table service. Yeah. 
So that was a little bit of a challenge at first, not a big one, but people were like, how's this working? I'm like, well, you know, I want to run a very lean, I'm an industrial engineer. I want to run a lean, clean ship. We have two workers at a time and two people, those two people take the orders, pour the beers. Uh, we don't ask that people bust their tables, but we appreciate it when they do. Um, but otherwise those two people pour all the beers, take all the orders, bust all the tables, wash all the dishes, and it's two people. Yeah. Um, and to me, that's just being efficient. Now it might mean that Sometimes you might come into Wander, and if it's busy, you might, you know, have to wait in line, and the line might be six or eight people or ten or twelve, but it moves pretty quickly. Um, you know, I was just at a, a brewery the other day where I sat down with table service, and sometimes people were like, God, I, Wander, you got to get up and go stay in line and wait for a beer, and I'm like, I sat down at a brewery waiting for table service for ten minutes and didn't move. Yeah. You know, if you would get in a line, we've done like time studies where you get in the back of the line on the busiest of busy days at the anniversary and the line's out the door and you still have a beer within five or six minutes, you know, yeah. and, and most days at Wander, you walk up and you have to wait a person or two, but it's a very, it's simple. It's a direct draw system, draft lines right off the cooler. So all the kegs are right behind the, uh, right behind the, the draft lines, it's like six foot draws. So we get our, our draft lines are really easy to clean, really easy to replace. If we need to swap them out, order through the bar. Um, we don't have, uh, any, you know, we don't do karaoke, we don't have trivia nights, and we do special events with some of that stuff, but we don't regularly do any of that. We don't have, you know, dartboards or foosball tables. We love all that. Um, I grew up in a tavern that my grandpa owned uh, when I was really young that had a lot of that stuff. It's cool stuff. People in town do that really well, but at Wander, we really want people to come here and relax. We want people to talk to each other, you know, if we can all get off our phones for a little while, uh, which I have a hard time doing. But we want people to talk about the beer and enjoy interaction with each other, you know, with their families, with their significant others, and not be distracted by all that other stuff. Like I said, I'm not against that. I do that stuff when I go to bars and pubs. But for here, we wanted it just to be all about the beer and all about people interacting. Now, that being said, the one caveat to that is we do have a pull-down projector. If they're, yeah, big game on, yeah. we will pull it down and put it on. Because if you don't, then you're shooting yourself in the foot. Totally. I think a lot of us new breweries opening, we're like, no, we're not going to have anything. And then you realize, yeah, but then Seahawks Sunday's on. Even if you're not a big Seahawks fan, people yeah. want to see that. Yep. So really big games we do put on. But other than that, it's really just the ambient noise from the brewery and we have uh, music playing. Um, but it's pretty straightforward. You know, we don't have video poker <laughs> yeah. you know, or anything like that. Yeah. Fire pit going outside. Uh, so on some of the cooler days, you can sit around the fire pit outside. Food trucks on site seven days a week. We rotate them each day. Um, so yeah, food's always changing. Beer is pretty much always changing too because uh, that's what people want. Uh, did 49 beers last year. Jeez. So yeah, on a 20 barrel system too. So um, yeah. yeah, so almost a new beer every week. New beer every week on average. This year we'll probably do just over 50. Um, not trying to make more and more each year, but it's just the nature of the beast. People Let's uh, switch that. gears to that. Let's talk yeah. about your beer a little bit, uh, yeah. we have, which we have not done. We've yes. a brewery Oddly. interview, haven't talked about beer at all. Yeah. Um, so our beer, so part of the Wander kind of theme, so Colleen and I, um, we've spent a lot of our spare time traveling, kind of overseas, um, studying abroad, taking a couple big trips together. So that's kind of part of what's ingrained in the Wander aspect is experiencing new things, experiencing the unknown, and that, and that sort of... Uh, experiences in life, meeting new people. Uh, the other part of Wander kind of applies to our beers. Um, we don't really box ourselves in. Um, we're really open to making anything. Um, sometimes that can be a fault because you almost need some bumpers on the side to like keep you kind of uh, on a path. But in the same sense, I want 
myself and my brewers to be able to make anything that strikes our fancy. If we read an article about a new, or not a new, like an old historical style that isn't being done and we want to try and replicate it, great. If we want to make hoppy beer, great. But yeah, we do hoppy, we do dark, we do low ABV, we do high ABV, we do barrel-aged sours, we do barrel-aged stouts. We have three uh, uh, fooders that we uh, sour beer in. Uh, one is an open top fooder, which we do short term uh, wood aging in. We have the two closed top fooders, which we do long term uh, souring in. We have the little kind of, uh, it's like a square sided cube, stainless cube back in the corner. We call that juice box. We fruit beer in that. So yeah, fruit it, everything. So uh, really we're just focused on quality and um, trying to make our beer better and better. Kind of one of our mantras that Colleen and I have been kind of saying for since we opened is you know we, we need to figure out how to grow in other directions besides pure volume and we grow a little bit every year as we kind of tweak efficiencies out of the system but you know we're going to three or five percent a year nothing crazy it's not double digit growth by volume but where else are we growing are we growing in um you know uh our relationships with our employees are we growing in the quality of the beer are we growing in the number of awards that we win and the write-ups that we get and the exposure that we get are we growing in our our uh, revenue at the taste room because the taste room is getting more and more popular um are we growing in the amount of donations we're able to give out to the community to support uh, support uh the community and that sort of thing um so really, our volume has stayed the same. Our diversity, though, with our beers has gone greater and greater. Um, we are trending more toward hoppy stuff, and that's really dictated by the market. Um, there's some breweries out there that say, stick to our guns. You know, it's starting to change now, but you can open it. That's fine. But yeah, you know, when the whole hazy IPA thing came about, now this, when it, we're talking a couple years ago, a lot of people were saying, no, we don't want to do this and that's not quality and this and that. And I was giving a talk at hop school down at Yakima, YCH, down in Yakima during the hop harvest. And uh, we were talking about hazy IPAs and we had brewed one for people to try that we were uh, giving to all the few hundred participants of the school. And some people were like, I just don't think it's quality. I think it's lazy. I think it's this and that. And uh, that's the mindset of some people. And you know, and some of those same like-minded people say, no, I opened a brewery that's only going to do farmhouse sales and sour beer, and that's what we're sticking to. My mindset is we have a decent-sized brewery, which we already talked about, 20-barrel brew house, 40-barrel fermenters, uh, and 20-barrel fermenters. We're making 2,500 barrels a year, which isn't a crazy amount, but it's a fair amount of beer. I need, in, this, in a crowded market, I need to make what keeps me and my brewers passionate, but I, we also need to make what the market wants. So kind of back to the point I was making a, a minute or two ago, was we have started to drift more toward hoppy stuff, and that's just market demand. And I am of the mindset of you got to give the people what they want, and you balance that with uh, beers that you are also passionate about, not that you're not passionate about what they want, we're super passionate about our hoppy beers, but we're also passionate about making, you know, classic German styles, you know, and there's a market for those, but it's not the same market as IPAs. So you'll notice when you come in and look at our tap list, like right now on our tap list, there's everything from kettle sours to barrel aged sours. There's a, 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 a Flanders uh, brown on there that was aged for over a year in, in, uh, in wine barrels. We have double IPAs, we have fresh hops, we have a stout, we have a coffee cocoa porter, we have one hazy IPA, we have an ESB on nitro, so it's a variety. So when it comes to our beers, the wander kind of theme transcends over to that as well. We moved to town, Kylie and I, uh, uh, we, yeah, we didn't know anyone here, literally. We lived in Seattle for a little over four years, four and a half years, something like that. And we didn't know anyone in Bellingham, but we wanted a mid-sized town in Washington. Well, mid-sized towns in Washington, especially if you go outside of like the greater Seattle area, they get, there's not many. I mean, you're talking about a handful of towns. 
we kept coming back to Bellingham, liking Bellingham. We knew no one here. Um, so we moved to town and didn't know anyone. We're opening a small business here. The first person we met in town was our real estate agent. So commercial real estate agent. So we're looking at, uh, looking at commercial real estate property that's formally offered on, you know, websites and going around town and, and doing that sort of thing. Uh, had multiple, I think four places fall through on us. Environmental reasons, landlords who said they would do something inside they didn't want to, other people wanting that space, whatever. I got really frustrated one one day. I was like, I already had, we ordered the brew system before we had the space. Cause I was like, I don't get this figured out. The lead time was so great on brew systems back then. It was like eight or nine months. It's like, well, we're going to get this space. Um, and I'm going I'm to figure the space out. We'll have them when it comes. Well, now we're starting to get to the point where I don't know if we're going to have a space. Cause even when you find a space, by the time you work on the contract and get it all in place, it's still a couple months out. So I'm like, I'm just going to look on Craigslist. Which oddly enough, my, some people might start there. I was, we were, you know, I was looking at the more formal areas of, of where stuff is displayed online. And uh, this place had went up that morning. I shot over to Colleen. Uh, we were both still working uh, day jobs while we were getting just getting the brewery going. Shot over to Colleen, and I'm like, I'm gonna go look at this over lunch, over the lunch hour. So I wrote the landlord. He's like, Yeah, come, come look at. It. So he let me in here, and the place was full. I walked in. I was immediately just awestruck, like, Oh my word, we need this space. And at the time, it was filled. There was old. Uh, there's a lot of just kind of like old cars, boxes, junk. You know, he's just using it as his personal overflow space of all so- for all sorts of things. But I was like, this place is amazing. It's like, Colleen, you got to get over here. So she came over over lunch, looked at it, and we're like, this is the place. And I said to the landlord, I don't want anyone else to jump in and take it because it just went up that morning. I'm like, what do I need to do to get you to take that post down on Craigslist? He's like, write me a deposit check right now for first month's rent. So run a deposit check. He took it down and... We started, working on, we started working on the contract from there forward. Yeah, so it took, I guess, timeline for us. People are always kind of interested, like, well, how did it roll? So uh, looked at the space in, uh, I think it was early August of 2013. Um, got the contract signed. We actually got the keys October 1st. Uh, equipment ended up getting delayed. Of course, we were hurrying, hurrying, hurrying. Got delayed, which isn't too uncommon. Uh, came in, uh, in mid-January. So we spent a few months building the space out. I mean, we had to redo all the floors. We excavated out the back part of the brewery to put in floor drains and run conduit under the floor, uh, electrical, utilities, water, all that. So we don't have a lot of, we tried to keep it clean. So a lot of the stuff actually runs under the floor. I mm. uh, had to tear down one office up front, uh, left the office in the back. Um, but yeah, poured floor drains and sloped floors, uh, got the boiler installed, got the chiller installed outside. Um, and yeah, Colleen and I were here, it was every single day for, I think it was eight months. Wow. It was crazy. And that was from when we got the keys until uh, a couple days out or a couple, uh, uh, a couple months after we actually opened our doors and we started getting other employees. Um, so it was intense. Um, but yeah, so we, uh, got the equipment. So keys January or keys, October 1st, uh, started building everything out, building bathrooms, walking cooler, all that stuff too. Got the equipment mid January, got that all piped in. I did our first brew um, at the end of March. So basically um, less than six months after we got the keys, we had our first brew done, which is pretty fast. And then we uh, had beer to market uh, mid-April. So two and a half weeks later, we had beer to market. And then we did our official opening early May. Uh, I was like, I think it was May 2nd. I should know that better. First week of May. So it was... From the day we got the keys to the day we were opening, serving on premise and assuring beer was seven months. So it was, we, we burned <laughs> pretty hard, uh, but it was great. Uh, our, yeah, our thought was we never, people were like, you guys, man, you guys are like, 
are you kind of overdoing it? Are you going to burn out? And our kind of thought was, we only get getting one shot at this. We're opening a brewery. It's either going to work or not work. Um, and if it does not work for whatever reason, I don't want to look back and be like, we didn't give it 100%. And that's just kind of our mentality. And we didn't want wander and everything we had into it just emotionally, mentally, and financially to fail because maybe in those first six months, you didn't push it as hard as you could. So we, we ran a little heavy on it, but, uh, it, it, it ended up paying off and it, it got the, the brewery financially stable quicker than it would have if we had a bunch of employees and it kept the beer in a good place. And, uh, um, kept everything going so yeah would you do you have any recommendations for people who are maybe following that same path trying to get up get their brewery started like that or you know doing like people people who right now are thinking about digging conduit yeah yeah i mean for me it's just about i mean we we didn't hire a gc and I'm, i'm a handy guy but not an overly handy guy you know i've renovated a house and i'm somewhat mechanically inclined but i'm also not like a joe mechanic but we were own, our own GC, uh, which I think is a general contractor. So uh, I, I think it's incredibly important. So I coordinate all the, the electricians, the plumbers, pipe fitters, all that. So I know the brewery very well. And I think that's helped in the one with troubleshooting stuff later down the road and two repairing stuff. I know you learn so much and you know how stuff works and you can make repairs quicker down the road when something goes wrong. wrong. You don't need to call someone. You might be able to fix it yourself quickly. Um, so that allowed us required more time being here and me dealing with scheduling all the, the subcontractors and all that, but it also got everything done the way I wanted it done. And again, working in a brewery previously and going to brewing school helped with that. I get a lot of questions from people at startup that are, so what do you think about this and how spacing in between this? And it's kind of like if, if you spend some time in a brewery or you actually study it, you probably at least have an, an itching about how it should be. Um, but yeah, I think uh, just putting it all in and doing it all ourselves and coordinating all the work ourselves just allowed us to really know the brewery inside and out. But then on the flip side, that means you're doing that extra bit of coordination and, and work. And, and like I said, we are here for eight straight months, you know, every day. So it, uh, it's a big chunk of your life that goes, yeah. um, <laughs> into the brewery. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a lot of work. Um, one thing I will say is you think we had this thought and I've, I've been told this from other brewers as well, uh, brewery brewer owners. You think all the hard work goes in at startup. Um, the hardest part about startup for us was finding the location. Mm-hmm. So when you're talking to someone that's trying to find a location and they're just about ready to give up and they're banging their head, and like, we can't find a location, how are we going to run a brewery? At startup, finding location was the most difficult thing. Other people might fall into a location and it was fine, but I've heard that from myself. I've heard that from other people too. Finding a location that is suitable for an actual brewery is the most difficult part of startup. After startup, though, um, a lot of people think startup is the most difficult part. Running the brewery for us is much more stressful and much more difficult than startup. Really? Um, completely. And Why? I didn't think that. And because at startup, you actually have flexibility. If you, um, you might want to come in and start at 6 a.m. this morning, you wanna, might want to come and start at 9 a.m. You might want to work till late at night or early in the day. Once you or leave early in the day, once the brewery is actually up and running, there's, um, you're confined to what hours you can kind of work because we're an open concept brewery. You have uh, set hours that you're going to be open to the public. You have uh, beer release schedules and stuff you need to meet. There's much more uh, restrictions and, and actually order about it. At startup, there's less order to things. You're just trying to check things off your list. And it's stressful because you're building a brewery, but you don't have really, I mean, you have time constraints. You want to get open as soon as you can, but really you're kind of free flow. And yeah. you're coming in, you're wearing a, you know, your car hearts and a ripped up t-shirt and you're trying to, you know, get something finished off for the day and whatever. 
Um, when the brewery is actually up and running, there's just a more expectation. You're in a public-facing role. Um, you're you're just juggling more balls, and um, people are looking at you with more scrutiny. When you're building out a brewery, yeah, there's some curious people sticking their heads in the windows, and maybe you do an interview or a podcast. But for the most part, you're still private within the confines of your brewery, doing your own thing. Once you're you're open, uh, we found that's when the more stressful stuff started coming about, which really surprised us. So that is one thing. Not to scare anyone who's really stressed out at um, build out right now, but we've thought, and I've heard it from other people too, that the really difficult part um, about the brewery is actually not startup during your first year. It's those first couple months of being open. You know, those first beer reviews of your first release product come mm-hmm. in, that first customer complaint comes through, or that first um, difficult conversation you have to have with an employee. Um, all those things, those are the really tough things. Not trying to figure out what size, you know, header you want on your steam loop going around your brewery. That stuff you can figure out by doing research. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's kind mm-hmm. of one part of, uh, one thing I learned. At least. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. yeah. I had never thought about that. And, yeah. I, and I don't think any other brewers talked about that uh, yeah. particular aspect of that. So that'll yeah. be, um, one other thing I was noticing was you kind of did an, in, you took an interesting path, you know, in terms of how you, what kind of brewery you decided to open up. Yeah. You, um, you were talking about how you got your beer to market before you had your tap room open. Yeah. And you, so basically you decided you wanted, this is a production yeah. like brewery with a tap room yes. where, as opposed to a, you know, a, uh, a brew pub that yeah. maybe sells to some local bars or whatever. Yeah. So maybe describe what some of that, what some of the differences between, or I don't know, some of the quirks of that particular path were. Why did you decide yeah. to go production, you know, working with distributors and doing all this other horseshit that people have yeah. really hate um, over, instead of maybe just doing a smaller scale taproom only kind of situation. Yep. So kind of a couple points there. So when we opened the brewery, we, we tried to keep it under the covers for as long as possible. We were not public about opening it. It's the opposite of what most people do. We had seen too many breweries that kind of blew their cover too early on. And then the excitement fades because it takes them 12 or 14 or 15 months to open. And when they finally open, people are like, you're finally open. Yeah. So when we first really, there was kind of word around town that there's a brewery going in. Um, but it was several months after we had the lease and we didn't have anyone actually into the building, the general public during build out until we had equipment in here. So the general public came in and was like, holy cow, you already have a brew house set up and you're getting ready to brew like in the next few weeks. So that was part of one of the things for kind of building up excitement. Um, just kind of touching on one, one small point, not exactly addressing uh, your question, I can, but I can think but, of a couple breweries that would but, have benefited from that advice. Exactly. <laughs> and it's like, you guys are still not, I mean, there's ones I follow online, uh, down in Seattle and I'm still like, are you? You guys, like, I, I first heard from you guys two years ago, yeah. you know, but it's also, it's each to their own and, and there's different dynamics at play. So you can't, I can't be too critical, but for us, we actually, even once we had the building, we kept it on our covers. A lot of people would say, start selling t-shirts, you know, get the public in there. We found that the excitement was at a big high on opening day because people had only known about us for a few months. Mm-hmm. Um, our bread and butter at the size we're at is, is on-premise. You know, on-premise by volume is about a third of, of our uh, of our volume, but revenue it's a couple fold of, of our overall. So it's super important. Um, this is what we are uh, as a business we're most defensive about and and and, and uh, put probably the most effort into. We have a full time salesman, a full time delivery driver, and they knock out of the park. They do an amazing job, um, and that's super important. Without that, we could not have the brewery. But we do focus heavily on premise. Um, we, we also had the goal, and I would give this goal to, to any brewers out there, and I've 
say it to distributors too, I would not work with a distributor until you absolutely have no other options uh, to, to meet your quality level or to get your beer to the market on time or whatever it might be. We didn't start working with distributors until we were, oh, it's probably about a year and a half old. Um, distributors are great people. They're some of my friends. The business is, is, a, is a, a messy one. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the overall <laughs> business as a whole, but they're good people and we work with them. And, they're, and, they're, and, and they have a job to do. Um, but they also have a job to do to some of them. It might be a dozen. It might be 10 other dozen breweries in their book. Um, and uh, I think any brewery out there should sell as much beer as they possibly can until they hit that point. For us, that point was we want to do a couple thousand barrels a year. We didn't want to grow until we couldn't grow anymore. But we want to do a couple thousand barrels a year because I want to be able to have a staff and to be able to you know, pay decent wages and provide benefits. And I want to be able to, to have a presence out there. Um, not just a pub feel without a kitchen. Mm -hmm. uh, we hit the point though where we were going down to Seattle every other week delivering beer. Realistically, Seattle, it's an hour and a half away with traffic. It's, it might be four hours round trip, plus you're driving around in town. That only leaves the driver a few hours to deliver beer. We're going down every other week and we were having accounts calling us saying, we want more wandered beer. They call us on Monday. Uh, Can we get more beer? Like, when do you need it? Oh, maybe like Wednesday at the latest. We're not coming down for another 10 days. Why not? Well, we only come down every other week. Okay, well, we're going to put something else on then. So it was, it, we, were, we were having this thing where we either had to, one of a couple options, we had to pull out of Seattle, which for the volume of beer we wanted to do didn't make any sense. We had to hire an additional delivery driver, additional van, additional employee, everything that comes with that. Or, or we had to end having them driving back and forth three times a week, yeah, which I wasn't a huge fan of having an employee. And yeah, and just from a, driving this van full of beer down, you know, couple hundred times a year to see. I wasn't a huge fan of that. So we got to the point where we had to start entertaining having a distributor to do the Seattle area. Um, I didn't want to, but I was like, this makes sense. And it's worked out, it's worked out great so far. I mean, they, you know, they push, you know, probably about 25% of the beer that we do goes down to Seattle now. Um, a, th a third of it stays locally and the other, you know, roughly 30%, we, uh, a third of it stays local on premise and the other roughly 30% goes out to local accounts. So we have a huge local presence. Um, we did not work the local distributor until we were probably almost four years old. And that breaking point for that was um, working. We have a local distributor who just does bottles on basically supermarket shelves for us for the most part. And uh, Casey, our sales guy, he was uh, our best, you know, profit-wise, our best spot is, is, is draft beer mm -hmm. for the most part, depending on the type of beer, but mostly it's draft. And our salesperson was spending a lot of time running around from supermarket to supermarket Every single week, going to seven or eight supermarkets in the Bellingham area, each one uh, stocking the shelves, seeing what's missing, placing orders, this and that. And we, it came to the point where we thought he could better, his time would be better spent selling draft mm -hmm. to draft accounts around town. And, you know, when you're only selling, you know, cases of large format bottles that are, you know, whatever they might cost, $40 a case. Gosh, for him to sell a few of those to a supermarket, you know, it's large format. Uh, it, they don't go at an alarming pace. Ours sell at a good pace, but we're not in the six-pack market. So he had to sell a handful of cases to a supermarket to make up for one keg sale. Well, he, his time was better spent selling kegs. So that was kind of the breaking point for us locally where he said, well, let's start working with a local distributor just to do our large, our large format bottles in supermarkets. So we do that locally. So, um, yeah, we just hit a couple points in time where we thought it made the most sense to go with the distributor. Um, and for everyone, that's different. I would say, though, to anyone who's currently running a brewery or um, anyone who is at startup, hold out as long as possible until you either have extra capacity or your accounts 
like ours are not as happy as they could be or something's suffering, don't do it just because you think it's the next step. Make sure you really have a, a case for it. Um, yeah, I've heard a lot more people that are unhappy that they went with the distributor than people that are like, gosh, this is one of the best decisions we ever made as a brewery. You don't hear that very often. And like I said, I respect the industry and I respect the role they play and they're great people, but it's a, it's a very competitive cutthroat industry to beer distribution, so. Yeah. Um, do you have any like, or do you have any flagship beers up there that you distribute specifically? Any flagship beers? Um, so we say, um, we say we don't really have a flagship at Wanderers. We don't call anything our official flagship. Um, our Shoe Toss Rye IPA is the IPA we've been making since we opened. That is kind of our unofficial flagship because it's our largest seller. It's only a little over 20% of our beer sales. So a lot of brews locally that have a flagship IPA and, and Don Seattle, a lot of them, you talk to them, 60-70% of their sales is that one IPA that people love and they crush it. We don't have that. It's by design. Um, I just don't want to be tied to, you know, two out of three brews we make each week are that house IPA. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, shoe Toss, you can find the most widely distributed Shoe Toss in our Millie Sour series, which is a rotating fruited sour, uh, kettle soured series. So right now it's raspberry, but it's either raspberry or plum or peach or apricot or blood orange. We, we kind of do all sorts of things. So the Millie Sour and the Shoe Toss are the ones you find the most. But yeah, we only have one beer that's over 20% of our um, uh, of our uh, market, of uh, our, our production. We only have three beers that are over 10% uh, of when you divide it all up. So we spread it all around. If anything would ever happen in one of those styles, we're okay because it's not like we something we get you know had a you know a black eye from something that went bad with one certain style, and all of a sudden that was 30, 40, 50, 60 percent of our sales. So it's a very diverse portfolio, and we don't have all of our eggs in one basket when it comes to an exact beer style or beer brand that we sell. Okay. I suspect that we could keep on talking for a while. We probably could. But we've, we've, probably been, for hours, we've been going but for a yes, while. Yes. Uh, let me ask a couple wrap-up lightning yeah. round questions. Yeah. What is your favorite beer that you have brewed here? Correspondent Stout. Correspondent uh, it was, Stout. It's always been my favorite since day one. Uh, that's one, one gold at GABF. Well, I can't say last year now because we just had GABF. So the year before last year, 2017, one gold there. It's one gold. It's one medals at the GABF or at Washington Beer Awards past three years. Uh, two of them being gold. It's been my favorite beer since day one. And the thing is being a brewer and a business owner, uh, this year was on year round because the demand came up, but there wasn't a lot of demand the past four years for stout in the summer, kind of common sense. It's the brewer's favorite beer. It won a gold at GABF, all this stuff. But at the end of the day, I had to make a business decision. We can't make my favorite beer that's award-winning year round just because I want to have it. Now, as an owner, you could do that, but me, it's just a bit, I need that line freed up for another beer that's going to move quicker during summer. But my favorite beer, stout. All right, next question. Yeah. What is the most influential beer, your favorite beer ever, perhaps the beer that turned you into the man you are today? Yeah. Oh, geez. That's a tough one. Um, I, I've been asked that before, and I still haven't come up with a great answer for it. Um, I really love Anchor Porter. So, Colleen and I, when we first left Iowa, um, Colleen's from Chicago, but we met at University of Iowa. We went to San Francisco, and Anchor, we served Anchor at our wedding. I've always loved Anchor Porter. Uh, back in the day, I also got really into Rogue. The Rogue Ale House was in North Beach in San Francisco, the, the, the neighborhood we lived in, and Rogue, we went down there a couple times a week and drank beer. So, I do have a, uh, I don't drink anywhere near as much Rogue as I used to, and Rogue's kind of evolved over time, but I do have a soft spot in my heart for Rogue. And then uh, anything from Anchor, really, because San Francisco is where I, I, I grew up, uh, or where I grew up, where I grew my craft interest. I don't have that one beer, though, where people are like, I, you know, Alaskan Amber takes me back to my first craft beer I ever had or anything like that. But I'll take an Anchor Porter anytime I see it. 
Last question. You've mentioned a couple breweries now. Yeah. You've mentioned Anchor. You've mentioned Rogue. And you mentioned Russian River at a point. Yeah. Between those three breweries, which would you bang, which would you marry, and which would oh, you kill? Oh, boy. God, that's hard. Let's start with who would I kill. That's bad. I wouldn't kill anyone, but let's say... Since I'm making you. Since you're making me, and let's say it'd just be fun. Like, maybe we're just like Thelma and Louise in it off a cliff. We'll say we'll go together. Okay. <laughs> um, I would have to go with Rogue on that, because I probably had the most late nights drinking at Rogue. Long conversations with friends and with my, my eventually who was my wife, Colleen. Um, we had our, yeah, rehearsal dinner. We were there after that. A lot of late nights uh, and talking to the bartenders. We were there when power was out and we were drinking beers by candlelight. It, yeah, so I'd go down with that ship. Um, Mary, I would have to go That, with, by the way, is a great interpretation of that yes, question. Uh, okay. God, did I bend that enough to try and not sound like a total, like, no brewer has ever been able to be be mean to uh, any other brewery no. except maybe Budweiser. Right? Yeah, like yeah. Just... If I did say, well, I could have said, yeah, well, well I first beer that way back in the day, we drank a ton of Miller Lite. I could kill that. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> um, Mary, I'd have to go with Anchor. We served it at our wedding. I have a very romantic just thoughts of Anchor. It's uh, we served at our wedding. Colleen and I first moved in together in San Francisco, uh, and Anchor's San Francisco. It's you know so Mary Anchor. Um, and then what's that leave for Russian River? Bang. Yeah, bang. Right, yeah, I guess that's simple. They're so sexy and make amazing beer. We were just at their uh, their tasting room uh, a week ago, actually. We were down in uh, down for a wedding down in Berkeley, so we went up to Russian River, visited some friends, and had their fresh hop. It was amazing. I mean, yeah, you can bang. They're so sexy. They're the beer they make, the place they hold. They're the one, not the one. There's a couple of them, but I mean, the, over time, they are just. Uh, they just kill it, you know, and they do amazing work. They're good people. They do a lot for the industry. So yeah, highly attractive brewery. Right on. All right, Chad, thank you so much. This has been a fantastic conversation. Great. Thank, thank you, you for coming. We appreciate it. Let's Cheers. grab a beer. Yes. All right, so you were busy today and you missed, uh, you, you showed up right at the very end <laughs> of the podcast, but I have the recorder back on now. Um, who am I speaking with? I'm Colleen Keel, the other owner of Wander Brewing. What do you do around here? Uh, I do all of our human resources, accounting, social media, donations, special events. All the random stuff that Chad doesn't do. (laughs) (laughs) All right, right on. What was the hardest part about opening this brewery? The hardest part... (laughs) The hardest part about opening the brewery... um, I mean, just on a short note, finding the spot. Um, but uh, in the long run, it's just been the um, complete and utter turning of your life over to um, a small business where it's 100% you and your husband and your entire life and your entire family. And it's just been, over the five years, it's changed a lot. <laughs> that's what he was telling me, that you guys have a rule that you're not allowed to talk about the brewery at home. Yeah, that, we that, don't have that anymore. It's changed but in at, recent at times. The, yeah. At the time... Uh, the first six months we were open, we definitely needed to have that, yeah. Would you give any advice to anybody who is trying to follow in your footsteps? Uh, just make sure you're, you're 100% committed and passionate about it. Because if you're not passionate about it, then it's not... You're going to be spending a whole lot of your time, a whole lot of your effort on something that you just truly, deep down, don't care about. And that's not what life's for. Right on. What is your favorite beer they have here that you guys brew? Uh, right now? Oh, well, not right now or ever. Oh, I don't know. It changes all the time. Um, I usually just, 
And I love our Pilsner. Um, I usually drink whatever new beer comes on because we change so, so often. And we have a new beer coming out usually every single week. Um, I like low alcohol beers a lot. Mm. Big fan of those. Um, the Rock beer just went off. I was a really big fan of that. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't have a favorite style, so I kind of tend to jump around. Okay. What sounds good at the time. What's your favorite beer of all time? Of all time? That's my favorite question I ask in every single interview for everybody that we hire. Um, I don't really have a favorite beer because for me, it's more about the experiences you have when you're drinking the beer. Um, and Chad and I have traveled all over the world and I can think of more about the experience I had when I was drinking that beer. And it doesn't really matter to me if it's a good beer or not. It's just, you know, the act of doing it and where you are and who you're enjoying with it. It's a lot more important to me. Okay. That's true. Yeah. But if you had to decide, you know, because you asked this question to your interviewees, you can't be the, but uh, I don't, you can't uh, not have an answer yourself. Or is that the exact perfect answer you hope that I'll interview you gives you? I just hope that there's some sort of answer. Yeah. It's usually my thought. Uh, I, I honestly can't tell you a favorite beer of all time. What about the most influential beer or the beer that turned you into the drinker you are today? Oh, that would be Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. Yeah. Okay. I mean, we, we, were, we moved to San Francisco right after college, and that was like really our first real, the bars we used to go to up from our apartment, we had Sierra on tap. We used to get it all the time. It was really our first kind of like true foray from the blue moon in college to, oh, yeah. <laughs> am I dating myself? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I, I think I drank blue moon. Well. I didn't like it, but I, I drank it. Well, that was pretty much all there was besides, you know, the light beers. Yeah. So. I think by the time I came around, there was plenty of options for me, but that's okay. <laughs> um, let's see. Okay. I, um, let's see. What are your three most, what are your three favorite breweries? Three favorite breweries. Oh, I'd really like to think about that. Um, I love breweries that are run by couples, like Chad and myself. Um, I think it's really important to kind of, I feel a little bit that, you know, beer is such a male-dominated industry, and um, a lot of brewers are, are men, and you look at, you know, on Instagram, all these collab pictures, and literally every single person in the picture is a man, and it's usually because the women are working really hard behind the scenes. Um, so I love Russian River because I love Natalie. <laughs> um, I saw her spoke at GABF our very first year we were open at the Pink Boots meeting there, and she was just, um, she's just such a, a leader in the industry. Oh, that's one of our dogs. We have two. The other one's at home. That's our puppy. That's Moksha. She's not a puppy. But, um, so I love Russian River for that sense. Um, Moksha, off. Hi, sweetie. You're in trouble. Um, you need to get down, okay? No feet on the bar. No feet on the bar. <laughs> uh, what else do I love? Oh, man. It's going to take me a while to answer. It's too hard to think, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I love Wander. If I didn't love Wander, I wouldn't be doing it anymore. <laughs> well, that's true. But don't, don't do Wander. Not Wander. Um, I love Anchor Steam Brewing for the sense that just nostalgia from living in San Francisco and mm -hmm. um, it's been around forever. Uh, now it's kind of been bought a few different times. and mm -hmm. um, But... I mean, I really love Chuckanut Brewery. I think that Will and Mari have been, you know, just pioneers in the beer industry. We're so incredibly lucky to have them in town with us and 
um, to be able to ask questions and just to have their leadership and um, just friendship. You actually did mention that you, you know, loved a couple breweries and you, uh, you know, you're talking about women in the, in the brewing industry mm-hmm. and pink boots and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. The, um, would you care to talk a little bit more about that? Like the, you know, women in the beer industry is something that I, I try to address whenever I can. And I was, uh, I was so sad that I didn't get to see you here. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm, I'm happy to bring this up right now. Um, you want to talk about that just a little bit, you know, share your thoughts on what that really is, like what, um, some of the problems, some of the good things, some of the positive things that are happening, some of the bad things that are happening. I mean, it's, it's honestly changed a lot just even in the five years that uh, we've been around. But um, the women pioneers from a long time ago who've just been at this for a long time, I give so much credit to. It's been an uphill battle. And... Um, just to be recognized and noticed for all the incredible hard work that they do. Like I said, a lot of it is not the sexy side of beer. Everybody thinks of beer and they think of the brewers only. And there are plenty of women, there could be a ton more, in the actual brewing side. Um, but a lot of women are, you know, doing the the backside of stuff that isn't noticed. And people just tend to forget that we're even here. Um, so... Uh, I don't really feel that, I mean, breweries couldn't be where, beer couldn't be where we are today without all the hard work that women are putting in behind the scenes. Um, I got a scholarship from Pink Boots before we opened to attend Portland State's uh, Business of Craft Brewing program. Um, And one of our bartenders here, Madison, just started a Pink Boots chapter in Bellingham. So um, just really trying to, you know, bring beer more to the forefront of um, not just noticing kind of the hard work they're putting in, bring it more to the front page. And um, it should be kind of like a there's more women drinking beer than ever um, and drinking all kinds of beer. And there doesn't need to be, you know, a specific type of beer for them. So um, it's just it's changed a lot. And there's a long way to go. I mean, still, you go to Craft Brewers Conference, you go to GABF, and there are a whole lot of men there. Mm-hmm. And all your, you know, conferences at CBC is depending on which ones you go to, a lot of men. Um, so there's still a whole lot of change that needs to take place. I mean, small changes are happening. Um, it's just it's, a, it's just like any other male-dominated industry. You know, it's not going to happen overnight. That's yeah. as good an answer as there is, as, as any. Yeah. All right, thank you so much for sure. talking to me. Sure, yeah. thank you. Thank you, Chad. Thank you, Colleen. I'm glad Colleen stopped in right at the very last sec to catch the tail end of that interview. Thanks for taking the time to chat with me. I'll catch you next time I'm in Bellingham. And I'll be sure to grab some of that delicious Wander Stout. Thanks for listening to Washington Beer Talk. If you like what you heard, then you can find other episodes of the podcast on Stitcher, iTunes, and Google Play. Don't forget to like, leave a review, and share with your friends. 